0: It is good to be here this morning. I sure am glad to be saved. All the world falling apart and going to hell, but I'm glad I'm going to heaven. I'm not going with them. Amen. I really am. I am sure am glad I'm saved and had a good week. I hope you had a good week. I hope you tried to tell somebody about the Lord, tried to invite somebody to church. And uh, let me just say a word. We, we went out yesterday and... Didn't really get a warm reception by too many folks. Everybody acting like they're too busy to talk about Jesus. And all I can tell you is that if that's the reaction that you got this week, just keep going, man. Uh, just do your part. Just, yeah. just do what you can and trust the Lord. I got a little bit discouraged about it. I was like, man, all these people are so hard. I told the fellas we went out yesterday with these two fellas and uh, we, me and, well, me and Ezra, we did go out. We, it was we. And uh, I told them, I said, man, we got to pray, man. This, this place is hard. And It's true. But we did what we were supposed to do, so we'll trust the Lord with that. All right, let's look in 1 Corinthians 15. Well, it's been a long time since we've been here. We're going to try and finish up the book of 1 Corinthians. I really have enjoyed going through 1 Corinthians, and I got, you know, some other things I'd like to do, but I feel like. I need to finish this before we do anything else. So Let's pray, and we'll take a look this morning. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your goodness to us this morning. God, thank you, Lord, for these folks being here this morning. God, good to see these people. And, Lord, I know, God, that you're pleased, Lord, that they're here. And I pray that you'd help them. And, God, speak to them, Lord. Pray that you'd give them understanding. And, Lord, God, truly with all of our hearts, Lord, we're not, uh, Lord, this is not the biggest church in this county, Lord, and this is not. Lord, the biggest church in this country. But, Lord, I pray that what we would produce here, God, in, in Charlton County here at People's Baptist Church is a group of people that love the Lord and want to be obedient to Him. And, Lord, love Your Word, God. Lord, love the truth, God, more than they love anything. God, I pray that, Lord, we could be a people, Lord, that, Lord, like Job said, I have esteemed the words of His mouth more than my necessary food. and. God, we're going to be together a good part of the day today, Lord. And I pray, God, that you'd bless everything that's said and done to you. Glory and honor. Lord, there are some folks missing this morning, but I pray you'd be with them, God, as they're making their way here. And, God, if they're not making their way here, Lord, I pray you'd convict them and help them, God, to see the importance of being in your house, God, Lord. And just be with us, God. We we'll thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, 1 Corinthians, let's start in verse 35. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 35. But some man will say, how are the dead raised up? And with what body do they come? Thou fool, that which thou sowest is not quickened, except it die. And that, that which thou sowest, thou sowest not the body that shall be, but bare grain, it may chance of wheat, Or some other grain. But God giveth it a body as it hath pleased him. And to every seed his own body. All flesh is not the same flesh. But there is one kind of flesh of men. Another flesh of beasts. Another of fishes. And another of birds. Now I don't think you need a biology lesson to figure all that stuff out. But you can see that there obviously are are grand differences between. Excuse me. Beasts of the field. Men. Fish, birds, reptiles. There's different. There's differences in their flesh. Obviously, I think you can see that. Which it really surprises me. It really amazes me why people would think that one evolved from the other. But that that's not the way that the Lord did did things. You know, when the Lord does things, He makes things. He makes things complete. He makes things. Uh, he makes them right. When the Lord looked at something. Uh, When he made these things in Genesis chapter 1, when he he made them, he didn't look at them and say, well, you know, here's this monkey, and he's eventually going to turn into a man. He made a monkey a monkey, and he made a man a man. And, you know, evolution will turn around and say, well, you know, the same elements that are found in monkeys are found in men. That's because they ultimately come from the same place. So that's not hard to figure out. Unless you unless you confused with a bunch of fi- science falsely so-called. And make no mistake about it, evolution is not science. It's not science. It's not science. It is not science. Science can be observed. You ever seen anything evolve to the same degree that evolutionists claim it evolved billions of years ago? You ain't never seen anything evolve. You say, well, you know, people, you know, things, you know. Uh, this thing evolves here and this thing adapts. Yeah, but that's not evolution in the grand scheme. That is macro evolution is what the evolutionists are talking about. You're talking about something, you know, you were born in Michigan and you learned how to adapt to living in South Georgia. That, that's not evolution. That's adjustment. You take an animal and you pick him up from South America and you put him in the Everglades, Well, he's probably going to have to have a little bit of adaptation, but then you take him and put him in South Carolina or North Carolina, he's going to have to adapt a little more. And if he gets too far away from his natural eco-location, he'd probably die, Uh, but he can adapt a little bit. That's not proof of evolution. Amen. That's anyways, wherever that came from all of that out of verse 39. First Corinthians 15:39 is where we're at this morning. But anyways, so verse so all of that to say in verse 39 what you have is there's differences, there's differences in in flesh, there's differences in beast, men, fish, birds. Verse 40. There are also celestial bodies and bodies terrestrial. Celestial means heavenly, terrestrial means earthly. So you've got a difference between a body that is a heavenly body and a lot of times, you know, your language kind of gets skewed a little bit. He's not talking here about the sun, moon, and stars. You know, people talk about heavenly bodies. That's not what he's talking about. There's a body, just like the body that you're sitting in this morning, there's a body that's heavenly. It's, it's adapted. If we could go back to verse 39, let me put it to you like this. Here's the flesh of men. It's adapted for its, for its use, for its purpose. You have things that you need to do. You have labor that needs to be taken care of. Well, you have a body that is adapted for that purpose. Flesh of beasts, they have a body that is adapted for their purpose. The flesh of fish, they have bodies that are adapted for their purpose. You're not going to take a man and put him in water and leave him there for the rest of his life because he's not not ready for that kind of environment. Uh, He doesn't have gills behind his ears. And, you know, he doesn't have scales. He's he not made for that thing. And it's the same thing with you're not going to take a man and put him in the air and let him go. He's not going to fly because he doesn't have a body that's adapted for that purpose. So all of these bodies, they, verse 39, all of these flesh of men, flesh of beasts, flesh of birds, flesh of fish, they have something that's suited to the environment in which they're surviving, in which they're living, and it's suited to the purpose. Well, when you get to verse 40, he says there are also celestial bodies and bodies terrestrial. What are those? Well, ultimately, those are bodies that are adapted to where they're at. You, in the condition that you're in right now, you cannot go to heaven like you are. Yeah. You you can't. You say, why? Because your body's not made to handle that. Can you see the... It'll, I think you can see the connection between that statement and verse 39. That's the line of reasoning that Paul is using. He Using, it. help us. Using. Boy, I say all kinds of strange things. Y'all better pray for me. Uh, but... You're not, you, you can't take your, your terrestrial body, that's something that's made to, to meet with the dirt. Uh, when, when the Lord put the curse on Adam and Eve and the serpent and on the earth because man's disobedience, he told Adam, he said, out of the dust you came and unto the dust you're going to return. Well, see, that body is attached to this dirt. That body that you're sitting in this morning, it's attached to the dirt. It's not dirt. What, what, what you're sitting in right now, that is not uh, a rolling dirt bag. It, it's flesh. You're a living person. But there is a connection to the dirt. When you, I know this is morbid, but it, it's true. When, you, when somebody dies, they do one of two things with them. They either bury them, they put them in a coffin, put them in a casket, and they bury them in the dirt. Or they burn them. They cremate them. They burn them to ashes. And ultimately, it goes back to the dirt. You say, well, it's sitting in a bag in a little... I understand that. But ultimately, it's dust. Is it not? I I, I hate to talk about stuff like that because I know you hate to think about your relatives that way. And I'm not trying to be disrespectful. But that's ultimately what it is. That really puts you in touch with the grand scheme of what we are. Man is very finite. Boy, that... that could open up a big line of preaching, but I'm not trying to preach this morning. So you can't go to heaven in the condition that you are. You've got cancer, you've got teeth falling out, you're missing one eyeball, and you know, you've got scrapes and bruises from doing whatever you did this, but you can't go to heaven in that condition. Listen, think about this. This is a little bit off of track of what we're talking about, but it it, it will help to illustrate the purpose. When the Israelites brought a sacrifice to God, God told them, you make sure that you bring a sacrifice, lamb, ram, bullock, whatever it is, and it could not have spot nor blemish. It had to be perfect. It had to be perfect. Well, if God demands that kind of sacrifice, how in the world can you stand in his presence having spot or blemish. I'm talking about in your physical body. <clears throat> when, when the uh, Levites were ordained to do the work of the ministry in the Old Testament, the Lord had very scrupulous requirements about who could come in to the holiest of holies or who could come into the holy place. And I'm not going to go into those details because they're very blunt details but he says, you can go back and look at those details, and the details are they have to be perfect in their flesh. When the, when the high priest goes into the holiest of holies, this is, it gives you a glimpse of the God that we're dealing with. When they go into the holiest of holies, he said, you don't wear anything into this place that will cause you to sweat. Hey, man, they're in a desert. You do realize that's a problem. The Lord didn't care. So how in the world can you and your flesh having the problems that you have? The, I'm talking about health problems. And get into the presence of you can't. You can't. And so you have to be changed. W- what I'm talking about this morning is I'm talking about being changed to where you're able to stand in the presence of God in heaven. How, how can you do that? Now, we talk about things as far as when the Lord comes back at the second advent, but that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the process of being going to heaven. How do you get there? And ultimately what we're talking about is the rapture. But he says here in verse 40, he says, There are celestial bodies and bodies terrestrial. But the glory of the celestial is one, and the glory of the terrestrial is another. Now let me define that word glory for you. That glory basically is the outward manifestation of something on the inside, Glory is something that makes, uh, it, it makes something distinct from other things. Glory. David said in the Old Testament, he said, my glory rejoiceth. Well, so David's got a glory. But David's glory is not like the glory of God. Can you understand that? I think that's pretty easy to understand. You have a glory. But your glory is not like the glory of God. The Bible says, as a matter of fact, we're right there. Let me see if I can find it right quick. Uh, 1 Corinthians 11. Turn back just a couple of pages and look in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Let me show you what I'm talking about. This This is really, I think this will help you understand if you don't understand. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 7. Well, go back to verse 6. Before we read this, let me just say this. A woman doesn't have to wear a hat in church. She can. She doesn't have to. You know, there's some folks that believe, well, you know, a woman's head ought to be covered. That's right. And that's what you're going to read in 1 Corinthians 11. A woman's head should be covered when she prays. But you're covering is your hair. Okay? So a woman doesn't have to wear a hat when she prays or when she comes to church. There's some, some denominations that believe that. But when you go on and you read through 1 Corinthians 11, the Bible plainly says her hair is given to her for a covering. That's why you keep you. That's why a woman. That's why a woman. And I know this is going to go against what everybody allows, because like we said this morning before the Sunday school hour, anything goes in this day and age. But God, God is not going to look at a woman with a pixie cut and smile. You you could like that or lump it and you could take it to your friends and family and say, well, that preacher's a legalist. But it's not the preacher, it's God. And what ultimately what he says here in 1 Corinthians 11 is that if a woman prays to God with her head uncovered, she dishonors her head. It's really harmful to you. So anyways, that's a different subject for a different time. What we're What we're talking about is he says there's... Uh, he says, the glory of the of the celestial is one and the glory of the terrestrial is other. We're trying to talk about what this glory thing is. What is that all about? We said, you know, man has a glory and God has a glory. Those two things are not the same. Well, look, this illustrates this, this thing really well. Verse 6, for if the woman be not covered, let her also be shorn. But if it be a shame for a woman to be shorn or shaven, let her be covered. For a man indeed ought not to cover his head for as much as he is the image and glory of God. But the woman is the glory of the man. For the man is not of the woman, but the woman of the man, neither was the woman created, neither was the man created for the woman, but the woman for the man for this cause ought the woman to have power on her head because of the angels. Now look down in verse 15. "But if a woman have long hair, it is what? It's a glory. It's a glory to her. For her hair is given her for a covering. It's a glory. It's a glory, It's a glory. Well, what, what I said was a, a glory is the outward manifestation of an inward thing. Isn't that right? Now, thank God that there are no transgender folks in here. But listen, ma'am, if you cut your hair all the way off, you still know that you're a woman, right? Right? Okay, if, you cut all, if your head was shaved, you know that you're a woman. But the outward manifestation of that thing is not so apparent. Do you see that? Uh, have you ever, man, this is, this is weird, man. I've had this happen more times than one in this crazy society that we live in. You walk up behind somebody and you think it's a man. You're standing behind somebody in a, in a grocery store checkout line and you think, oh, this guy is wearing X, Y, and Z, you know, whatever you're thinking. And then they turn around and all of a sudden you realize this is not a man at all. Yeah. Yeah. This is a woman. And that was happening before all the transgenders came out of the closet. Yeah. Because preachers have been preaching against women having short hair for a long time. And they've been rebelling against that stuff. Yeah. Uh, It's it's for your own benefit. I mean, listen, uh, since we're here, let me just throw out some principles of modesty. You should dress in a fashion to where nobody misunderstands who you are or what you are. If you're a man, dress to where everybody knows that's a guy. First glimpse, that's a guy. Do not cut your hair to where they look at it and say, Uh, I'm not sure have you seen these haircuts and maybe some of y'all have done it before maybe you have family members that do it I will not do it and I will not lord willing let my kids do it But they got these haircuts to where they have hair parted like mine And then they shave it all this stuff right here on this side. They shave it like that I have seen men have that haircut and I have also seen women have that haircut I will never have one God be in my helper God be in my helper. I'll never have one. you say why I don't want to be mistaken and so, ladies, as far as modesty is concerned, you should not dress, you should dress in a fashion. Uh, sh- should I wear pants or should I not wear pants? Well, let me just give you a principle to operate by. Can you dress in a fashion wearing pants to where people understand you're a man or a woman? If you can, then pray about the thing, do business with God, and do as the Lord leads. If you can't, then I recommend wearing something that provides no questions. Isn't that what Christianity is about? Yeah. It's about? It's about God putting answers where there once were questions in your heart and life. Well, live that way. Live like God's answered your questions. Yeah. Don't let nobody be able to answer any, ask any questions about you. You know, is this, you know, is this immodest? Well, let me ask you something. I, I go a little bit further. You know, you're standing in your closet looking at your closet or standing outside your closet if your closets are a little. You're looking at some article of clothing. Is this appropriate? Is this modest? Well, let me ask you something. Does it make you look like a harlot? Are you a harlot? Okay, then you have your answer right there. Now, I mean, if it makes you look like a harlot and you are a harlot, then okay. That wasn't hard, was it? Amen. Praise the Lord. That's good preaching. What You see how simple that stuff is? You know, pre- oh, he's preaching against women wearing pants. No, man. I think I made that statement in this church one time, and boy, a hush came over this crowd like you wouldn't believe. Hey, listen. It is what it is. I, it just is what it is. All I'm telling you this morning is, hey, just dress like there's no, no questions. I got on all that by saying, if you shave your head, Women get cancer. They have to have radiation, chemo, or at least they take those things and they lose their hair. Does that mean that they're not a woman anymore? No, that's not what that means at all. That kind of stuff happens. But, you know, you know I've, seen, I've seen women go through that kind of stuff. And you know what they do? They take those, forgive me, they take those do-rags <laughs> and they put them on their head. You say, why? They, there's something there to where they want to be recognized as for who they are. Why? Because God gave them that hair for a glory. It's an outward manifestation of something on the inside. That's why it's weird for men to wear long hair. I don't care who's doing it. I don't care what Southern Gospel singers are are doing it and what preachers are having them in their churches and acting like it's okay. It's weird. And it will always be weird. Amen. You a woman... No. Okay, then cut your hair. Look like a man. Jesus had long hair. Prove it. Hey, listen. Listen, let me say something. There's a possibility that he did have long hair. There's a possibility. And I'll tell you why. Because he was a Jew. And when you go into the Old Testament, they, they said that they were not to round the corners of their beard or mar the corners of their head. So there's a possibility that he had some longer hair than what you're accustomed to. But you can't prove that. Where's your pictures? Where's the physical description that Jesus had long hair? I know what hippies will use to justify their long hair. Jesus had long hair. Prove it, sucker. You don't know. You probably ain't even read the Bible all the way through not going to tell me what Jesus looked like. You got that out of some little goofy children's Bible written by some hippies. Yeah. 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 Amen. Yeah. You're welcome. Yeah. You're welcome. Yes, sir. Jesus didn't have blue eyes neither. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Jews don't have blue eyes. Yeah. Amen. Anyways, you're welcome. That was a grand message on modesty this morning. Cut your hair, grow a beard, if you're a man. <laughs> I don't recommend none of you ladies growing beards. Uh, but anyways, all right, let's get off of that. He says here at verse 40, there are celestial bodies and bodies terrestrial, but the glory of the celestial is one and the glory of the terrestrial is another. So there is. Uh, there is, Webster defines that term as distinguished honor, or ornament. And so glory is something that really makes something, it makes a particular thing distinct from others. So here's this woman, she, she has her hair to her for a, for a covering, but the Bible says it's her glory. And then, but that's not the same glory as the glory of God. Well, see, those two things are distinct. God is distinguished from all of his creation. You understand that? And really, listen, that is where Man gets into the mess that he gets in in Romans chapter 1 where God turns him over to a reprobate mind. Where he gets into that mess is to where man fails to distinguish God in his own mind from what God has created. God is not like his creation. He's different. He's distinguished. He has particular honor that belongs only to him. Well, if you can take that concept of what I'm trying to explain to you there and apply it to what Paul's saying here... Here's celestial bodies, and here's bodies terrestrial. Bodies terrestrial, the thing that you're sitting in right now, every single one of you, man, woman, boy, girl, infant, body terrestrial. It has a particular glory about it. By the way, that glory is different. Well, let me not even say that. He says there's celestial bodies and there's bodies terrestrial. He doesn't say anything about animals having that glory. So that's one more mark of evidence where men and animals are not the same thing. Man is not a glorified animal. He's totally different. He's totally different. But you have a body terrestrial. It's connected to this earth, but it has a glory about it. Does it not? And you should take care of that body, by by the way. You should take care of that body the best way you can. But there's also celestial bodies, heavenly bodies, and that has a different kind of glory attached to it. Yes, sir. Look in verse 41. He says, There's one glory of the sun and another glory of the moon. I lost my place. And another glory of the stars. For one star differeth from another star in glory. Now, verse 42, he says, So also is the resurrection of the dead. It's sown in incorruption It's raised in incorruption, it's sown in dishonor, it's raised in glory, it's sown in weakness, it's raised in power, it's sown a natural body, it's raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. So you've got right now a natural body. Let me just kind of make some statements and then we'll go back and look at this a little bit. You've got a natural body right now, but you're going to get a body one day that is not going to be according to nature. It's going to be spiritual, and it will be a body. Make no mistake about it. It will be a body, for lack of the ability to explain it any better, it will be a body like the one you're sitting in right now. But it will be nothing like the body you're sitting in right now. It's strange. You say, how do you explain it? The best explanation that can be provided is to say, look at Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was crucified, he was buried, and he what? What did he do three days after he was buried? He rose again. That is a resurrection. When he came up, he didn't come up as a spirit. He came up as a spiritual body. When he stood in the presence of his disciples, he said, touch me. You can't touch a spirit. You go to grab Casper the friendly ghost and you're going to go right through him. Casper's not real, just in case you got your hopes up. Uh, go to grab a ghost, go to grab a spirit. You, you can't take a hold of those things, but you could have took a hold of Jesus Christ. The Bible says when he rose from the dead, the, the day, the day that he rose from the dead, that Sunday... You know, the first, woman that he, first person that he saw was a woman, that was Mary Magdalene. She came down there and he said, touch me not, I've not ascended my father. But then you go and you turn around and you look in another place, in another account of the Gospels, and the Bible said they came to him and they held him by the feet. They were touching him. That tells me he moved pretty fast. To ascend to the Father and come back in a matter of moments, that's moving fast. Moving faster than the speed of light. But they touched him. Hey, Thomas said, I'm not going to believe unless I put my fingers through the holes in his hand and thrust my hand through his side. And Jesus shows up and says, have at it. That'd be weird. That would be very strange. But that's what he said. Go ahead. Help yourself. It's it's not a spirit. It's not something that you move through. It's not immaterial. It is a material body. But it's spiritual. Wow, it's a body that is as much material as you are. Listen, it is a body that is as much material as you are. I'm talking about the body that you're going to get. It's a body that's as much material as you are, but it has the ability to appear out of thin air. You say, Brother Nathan, that's all ability that the Lord had when he rose from the dead. Why do you think that we're going to get that? Twofold. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 What this is is Paul's describing the resurrection that's going to take place to you in the future. And what this is is not some distant new resurrection separated from the Lord Jesus Christ. It is a participation in the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a participation. When you got saved, were you put in Christ? Okay, well, there's a passage that says you're made partakers of his death and if you're made, I believe it's Romans 6, if you're made partakers of his death, why does it not stand a reason that you would be partakers of his resurrection? So you get, you get the body. That does not make you a god. It does not make you divine. It does not make you divine. But it does mean that you get the benefits You get the benefits of what Jesus Christ died to purchase for you all simply because you received Jesus Christ. Listen, when you receive Jesus Christ as your Savior, you got everything you could get, man. You got everything. Everything. But it's just not made manifest right now. We don't see it. We'll get to that here in just a second. But you get that. Listen, you, you get this resurrection body because it's a participation in the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ and also... As many as received him, John chapter 1, as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. You're a son of God, even them which believe on his name. Did you believe on his name? Okay, you're a son of God. Well, a son, I have two boys and I have a daughter. I thought she was out here this morning. She's probably back in Sunday school. But I have three children. Obviously, Lois is not my son, but for sake of explaining the fact, they're my sons. They're my offspring. You know what they are? They're my kind. Well, when you were born with the new birth, you're of his kind now. You're of his kind. Well, my my children bear the marks, they bear the traits, they bear the characteristics, not only in their personality, but also in their body. Of course, them Sutherland genes are very strong. <laughs> very strong. Uh, but you can even you can still see some of my characteristics if you look really hard, you can see some of my characteristics in my children. You say why because they 're my kind they're my kind and listen whether or not listen, let me say this, which is a greater truth, even if you couldn't see any in my characteristics, they are mine they're 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 my offspring uh, you say well wh- why would you why would you say something like that because You're a son of God. If you trusted Christ, you're a son of God, right? Okay, well, there's going to come a day where that that fact is going to be made manifest in your flesh 100%. You say, well, I don't see it right now. That doesn't change the fact that you're his offspring. You say, well, I don't see any likeness of Jesus Christ in my life. Well, you better start paying attention to your heavenly father and start letting him teach you how to act. But you still got his royal blood flowing through your veins. So you're still a partaker. You're still a partaker. Okay, now, now go back to this thing here in verse 42. He said, so also is the resurrection of the dead. Uh, so also is the resurrection of the dead. What's, what's he talking about? What he's, well, what he's covered in verse 40 and verse 41. Let me put it to you like this. You've, you've got eternal life right now, do you not? You've got eternal life. But to be honest with you, from standing up here looking at you, you don't look like it. And I can say the same thing if I was sitting in your seat looking at this sorry carcass. I don't look like I've got eternal life. Uh, I still got a little bit of fuzziness in my vision from waking up this morning. I got about three quarters of a cup of coffee that I didn't get this morning because I woke up a little bit late, and so my my vision's still a little bit fuzzy. I haven't woke up all the way yet. I don't I don't feel like I have eternal life. I was through the night. I, did, I asked Brother Clinton, Brother C. Uh, Brother Michael, boy, my brain's about to fall apart. That don't take much. But I said, how'd y'all sleep last night? I asked him that because I didn't sleep worth a wink last night. I don't look like I have eternal life. You don't look like you have eternal life, but you do. Ain't that right? Well, look in Romans chapter 8, verse 19. Let me see if we can pick up the speed a little bit. I want to try and get good ways through this passage. Romans chapter 8, and look in verse 19. You've got eternal life right now, but it's not manifest in the fullest sense. It's not, it's not apparent. If, you, if I think you could see what I'm saying with that. But Romans chapter 8, look in verse 19. He said, for the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. You say, so, well, I thought we were the sons of God right now. That you are. But it's not exactly manifest in the way that it's going to be in the future. Look in 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3. And look in verse 2. 1 John chapter 3 and look in verse 2. Now I'm going to read this wrong for effect. So pay attention. First John chapter three, verse two, beloved, we are going to be the sons of God. That's not what it says. It says, now are we the sons of God. You say, well, I don't see it. That's right. You say, well, I don't feel like it. That's right. But you're a son of God. If you trusted Christ as your savior, you're a son of God. Well, I ain't quit smoking yet. Well, you should. Quit that smoking. Quit your drinking. Quit your chewing. Quit your cussing. Quit your running around. Oh, nobody could be saved if they run around. You don't get saved by quitting running around. You get saved by trusting Jesus. Yes, sir. Now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Well, see, there's a reason that it's not made manifest in your flesh that you're a son of God. You say, why? Because you don't see him yet. But the day that you see him, there's going to come something. There's something already on the inside, and all it needs is a catalyst to react with. And once that catalyst shows up, there's going to take place a spiritual transaction in a way that you've never had take place. I'm not talking about being saved. What I'm talking about is the manifestation of your salvation in this body. See, you're saved. Listen, you're saved in your spirit and your soul. The Bible says in the book of Colossians that you were spiritually circumcised the day that you're saved. But that body that you're sitting in, it's bought and it's paid for. But salvation has not taken hold of that body yet. You say, how do, how do you know that? Because you sinned this morning before you even came to church. I guarantee it. No, I do not have your house bugged. I am not listening to your conversation. I just know me. Now, if you didn't sin this morning, give it time. You're on your way. You say what's that all about? That's about that body that you're sitting in. That 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 flesh is not born again. Uh, Lester Roloff used to say and Brother Mike used to quote it all the time, there is no such thing as preacher flesh and deacon flesh and song leader flesh. There's just flesh. Well that flesh is messed up and that's why the longer you live, the worse it looks. You try and lift weights and you try to, you know, eat right and have a right diet. Man, you're headed for a hole in the ground. Why? Because that flesh is connected with the dirt because of a curse that's on this world. Well, you trusted Christ as your Savior. I hope you have. If you've trusted Christ as your Savior, you have eternal life living on the inside. But that eternal life has not broken out of the prison that it's in yet, the prison of your body. Well, there will come a day where, the, where you will see the Lord. You'll see him. They, uh, Job said, he said, I know that my Redeemer liveth, and he shall stand on the earth in the latter days. Uh, another passage says, he said, with mine own eyes I shall behold him. When that takes place, there's something that's going to take place, not just in your spirit and soul, but in your body. And this messed up mortal body is going to be swallowed up, if you will, which is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 of immortality. Yes, sir. You fully possess your eternal life right now. Look in first, 1 John chapter 5 and look in verse 11. Let me just elaborate on this point for just a second. I want to make this plain to you. 1 John chapter 5, verse 11. I think we're going to hit this in the morning service a little bit as well. But it, it says, 1 John five eleven, and this is the record that God hath given to us Eternal life. He hath given it to us. That's past tense. And this life is in his son. Did you trust his son? Did you receive his son? Then you have eternal life right now. You do not get eternal life the day that you get saved. Or or the day that you die, rather. You do get it the day that you get saved. No man gets eternal life until he's dead. No, sir. No, sir. You get it the day that you trust Christ. The Bible says this is the record that God hath given to us eternal life, and this life is in his son. Do you have His son? Well, yeah. Okay, then you've got eternal life. Now, listen, if you've got a problem with that, let me elaborate here for just a second. If you've got a problem with that, I'll tell you here's where your problem is. It's either in one or two places. It's either with you because you know what a r- rotten dog you are, which I can understand that because I'm right there with you. I'm a rotten dog. But I didn't get saved because I was a good guy. I got saved because I was a sinner. I was a wretch, and I needed to be saved. And the Lord said, if you'll accept my son, I'll save you. I said, sounds like a good deal to me. It wasn't fair, but it was a good deal. So I I knew a good deal when I saw one, and I took advantage of it. So you'll either have a problem because you see what you see in your own life, or you'll have a problem with that. And this is most likely what it is. You'll have a problem with that because of what you see in somebody else's life. Well, they couldn't possibly be saved saved if they did that. You couldn't possibly be saved if you do that. I mean, you say you're saved, but you're still doing this and you're still doing that. Well, let me ask you something. How many times you read your Bible through? And if you've read it through all these many, several hundreds of times, how much you got all in order in your own life? I'm not saying that you shouldn't have things in order. You hang around People's Baptist Church. We'll preach on that often. But that is not what saves you. That is not what gives you eternal life. What gives you eternal life is verse 12. He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son hath not life. Let's reread that and put some things in there. He that hath victory over smoking hath life. Is that what it says? He that hath victory over cussing hath life. Well, some of y'all be in hell. Brother Nathan, no church people cuss. Hogwash. Tell me, i blew blow your testimony this week. I guarantee you. I don't know that. That's a shotgun statement. Just throw it out there and let it hit whoever it's going to hit. But that's true. Hey, listen, there's church folks that show up on Sunday morning, and they just got done visiting the bar and the nightclub the week before. That's not what saves you. That's not what puts you in hell. What saves you? What determines whether you go to heaven or hell is do you have the son? <laughs> Let me just hang out here for a second. Oh, I just, I just don't see it that way. Then what is it that you're counting on to save you? Yep. What are you counting on to save you? Is it really what Jesus Christ did for you at Calvary? I'm not, listen, I'm not going to say that everyone who buys into this mentality of, oh, you couldn't do that, you couldn't you you could do that and be saved. I'm not going to say that everybody that buys into that mentality is lost. But I will say this. If you are saved, what happened is some stupid preacher, and he's a stupid preacher, or some stupid Christian came along. And I say that without apology. You say, that's terse, that's coarse. Yes, it is, on purpose. Some fool came by and talked you into the fact that, there's this upper echelon of Christians. And these are the people that are without fault, or at least they're not like these people down here. And these, are the, these people up here are the people that are really going to make it, and these people down here, they're not going to make it because these people up here are better. And when you get asked, well, what class of people are you in? Oh, of course I'm up in this class. Of course. There are some honest souls who would put themselves down here, but those are few and far between. Those are usually the folks that struggle with the fact of, man, am I really saved? Hey man, I'd rather you, I'd rather you struggle with that than be up here in this situation to where you so self-righteous, you're counting on your own good works to get you to heaven. Because they ain't. And you're in danger. You're in danger. You're in danger. He that hath the son hath life. Do you have the son? Yeah, I got the son. Then you got life. Do you have the son? No, I don't have the son. Then you don't have life. Yeah, but I got church membership. You don't have life. Yeah, but I put money in the plate. You don't have life. I've been baptized. You don't have life. It's that simple. It's that simple. You said, Brother Nathan, teach us the deep, dark, doctrinal things. We're getting there, but you got to understand that first. Yes, sir. Well, kind of running a rabbit trail but this is a good rabbit trail for you to understand so you've got this eternal life on the inside here you've got here you're at a place in your life right now here you sit how many of you trusted christ as your savior let me see your hand okay you trusted christ as your savior now you know at some point in the future that eternal life that you have right now that eternal life is going to be made manifest on the outside by the way that is predestination Predestination is not God coming way back here before you get saved and saying, oh, you're going to get saved whether you want to or not. That is not, predest- that is not biblical predestination. That's the predestination that the Calvinists preach, but they're wrong. That's not in the Bible. Biblical predestination is the fact that once you get saved, you are going to make it to this day whether you want to or not. Whether you keep believing or not, Brother Nathan, you don't believe in perseverance of the saints? No, I do not. Because I believe there's many folks, I believe there's many folks who have gotten saved, and somewhere along the lines they got gotten bitter, and they're going to die backslid, and you know what? If they got saved, they're still saved. Because you're not saved by your faithfulness. You should be faithful. You should stay consistent. But that's not where your salvation comes from. Your salvation comes from the fact that Jesus stayed faithful. Yes, sir. You get eternal life right here. Here's a day coming to where eternal life is going to be made fully manifest in your body. That takes place at the rapture. Okay, but what about eternal life being made manifest in your body between then and then? How do we, how do we get that taken care of? Well, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, let's look at a couple of verses. We'll try and run through these things right quick. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and then also you can grab 1 Peter. 2 Corinthians 4 and 1 Peter 4. The manifestation of that eternal life that you have in you right now because you trusted Christ, how do we get that out on the outside? That should be a genuine question that every every Christian has. Well, that that's Manifestation of that eternal life comes through a process of personal sanctification, personal discipline. And you could also say it comes through suffering. That's a bad word in this day and age because we're so used to getting whatever we want. But that is, that's exactly how it comes about. Look here in 2 Corinthians 4 and look in verse 7. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. I don't think there's any doubt in your mind about what that treasure is. You could call it eternal life. You could call it the Son of God. You could call it all kinds of things, but ultimately you know it deals with salvation. That's what that treasure is. Well, look at what Paul says. Verse 8, We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair persecuted but not forsaken, cast down but not destroyed, always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal body. That life of Jesus, isn't that eternal life? Well, it's made manifest through suffering. It's made manifest through hardship. So then death worketh in us but life. And you look in 1 Peter chapter 4 and look in verse 1. For as much then as Christ hath suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves, it's a fight, arm yourselves, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind, for he that hath suffered in the flesh hath ceased from sin. Well, that's a wild statement, man. God will let you go through suffering. You say, well, what's the purpose of that? So that you'll quit sinning. I've said it before, and I know Brother Mike has said it before. Man, you go through suffering, and the first thing you should do is hit your knees and say, God, why? What, what did I do wrong? And a lot of times, you already know what you did wrong. And you say stuff like that, and I'm sure that there's people that sit and hear a statement like that and say, Oh, I, I don't understand why you would say anything like that. You've heard, you've heard the average testimony in the Baptist church, you know. I don't know why God is letting this happen to me. Well, you should know. Ask. Ask. Listen, I'm not saying everything that you go through, everything, everything. I'm not saying everything you go through is because you've done something wrong. But you should ask. You say, why? Because of what you just read right there. For he that has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Suffering ultimately is because of sin. Hey, if Adam and Eve hadn't ascended, would there be any suffering? When you get to heaven, is there going to be any suffering? There's not going to be any suffering because something's missing. What's missing? Sin. Sin. Sin equals suffering. So if you suffer in the flesh, the first thing that you should associate that with is sin. I'm doing something wrong. Brother Nathan, that's a horrible way to live. No, no, that's a wonderful way to live. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. God, what did I do? And listen, sometimes genuinely... It's not because you've done anything wrong. That is a possibility. The disciples came to the Lord one day and there was a fellow that was blind hanging around in the temple and the disciples came to the Lord and they said, hey, who did sin, this man or his parents? And Jesus said, neither, but that the works of God might be made manifest in him. That's a possibility. You say, how do I figure that out? Ask. Ask. And listen, I tell you this, you're not going to know if what you're going through is because of sin or not if you're not reading. Because of a lot of the things that bring heartache and suffering and trouble and tribulation, they're already predefined in the pages of the book. God has told you, if you do this, this is going to happen. If you don't do this, this is going to happen. God has already explained it to you. So while you're sitting back here saying, I don't know why God's letting this happen to me, God's saying, I told you in my book if you'd have just read Yes, sir. So I would I would certainly ask. Well, see, what that suffering is, is that's a sanctification process. Listen, you go put your hands in a place where they shouldn't be, or you say something that you shouldn't say, or you look at something that you shouldn't look at, or you hear something that you shouldn't hear, and something bad happens, you know what God's doing? God is, the Bible talks about in the book of uh Proverbs he said if you take a fool and put him in a mortar and beat him with a pestle you know what a mortar and a pestle is that's one of those things that the apothecary has the pharmacy they take those pills and they put them in there and they got that little thing it's like a little that's like a little stone piece and they beat that pill and they grind it to powder he said you can take a fool and put him in a mortar and bust him with a pestle I'm paraphrasing he said but his foolishness is not going to depart from him well God will take you after you've done something wrong, and God will put you in that mortar and beat you with that pestle. You say, what's he trying to do? He's trying to get that impurity out of you. Stop doing that. Don't you whip your children when they do something wrong? Oh, no, we don't whip our children when they do something wrong. That's, cause that's why they're full of hell. You don't, you don't beat your kids because you hate them. Oh, you said beat. Yes, I did. Yes, I did. You don't whoop your children. You don't beat your kids because you hate them. You beat your kids because you're trying to associate negative consequences with bad actions. You take a switch and you light their legs on fire. Not literally, but with that switch. You light their legs on fire so that they can understand next time I lie, it's going to be this bad or worse. And hopefully the fear of that consequence will say, I'm not doing that. I just don't believe in all this fear-mongering. That's because you're stupid. The fear factor works. God appeals to the fear factor. You know why I got saved, Brother Curtis? It's not because I loved Jesus or because I was moved at the fact that he died for my sins. That is not why. Some people probably have got saved because of that. You know why I got saved? Because I was scared to death of going to hell. I was scared. You were scared into salvation? Yes, I was. Yes, I was. I just ain't afraid of nobody. You're mentally insane. You're insane. And I guarantee you, if we examined your life, not even very close, but just in a minor degree, we could see that your life has fallen apart. If you really ain't afraid, your life has fallen apart. You know what the Bible says about the devil in the book of Job? It says he's the only creature that God made without fear. Devil's been around for a long time, hasn't he? Long time. How well you think he knows that book? I bet the devil's a premillennialist. Just like we are. At least I am. I'm a premillennialist. I bet the devil knows. I bet he knows that's. I bet he knows all about Daniel's 70th week. I bet he knows. I bet he's got revelation memorized, the whole book, Revelation. He got it memorized inside and out. He knows what his end is going to be. Why don't he change? No fear. Some moron ride down the road in a big jacked up truck, no fear on the back of it. That's a son of the devil. That's a a child of hell. All this fear-mongering religion. Okay, go do what you want to do then. Amen. You're free to do that. It's a free country. Right. Yeah. But you're going to wind up in hell, buddy. Yeah. You, yeah. And if listen, if you're saved and you don't have the fear of God in your life, you won't wind up in hell, but you'll wind up with a damned life. Yeah. Your life will be ripped to shreds. Yeah. Hey, you trusted Christ. God's got your soul. But, buddy, if you don't approach God with the same fear in your life that you approached him with regarding your eternal soul... Buddy, you're going to have a messed up life to live for the rest of your life. You know what the best attitude to approach God with is? Oh, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. You, you can't go wrong with that kind of an attitude. You cannot go wrong with that attitude. Listen, I've stopped teaching and now I'm preaching, but that's okay. Maybe this, I'm sure this needs to be said. Listen. Every problem that you got in your life this morning, I guarantee, stems from the fact that you quit taking that attitude. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And you got cold and you got indifferent and just thought, well, it'll be all right. I'll just, you know, I'll just keep going and doing my own thing. No, sir. You're not going to keep going. You're not going to keep doing your own thing. You're going to run straight into the gates of hell one day, and it's all going to fall apart around your ears. You say, why? Because there's a God to be feared. There is a God to be feared. He loves you. Prove it. He sent his son to die for your sins. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Well, what the Lord does for a Christian is he takes those things, those, those those things that you do that's not right, and God will let tribulation come. He'll let a little bit of sorrow come. You say, what's he doing and all that stuff? He's trying to get you to stop. For as much then as Christ has suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves Likewise with the same mind, for he that has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Verse 2, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lusts of men, but to the will of God. It's very difficult. Listen, it's very difficult to fall out of love with the lusts of the flesh. Is it not? I don't know what it is that appeals to you, but I know what it is that appeals to me. Because I live with me. I don't live with you. I live with my wife, but there's some things I don't know what it is that appeals to her. She knows. I don't. But I know what gets me. I know what lust of the flesh get me. I know what lust of the flesh. I know that you know what lust of the flesh gets you. It's very hard to fall out of love with those things, ain't it? So you know what the Lord will do? He tries to convince you to fall out of love with those things. And he tries to convince you to fall in love with the things that produce life. The things that produce joy. The things that produce peace. You say, what's that? The will of God. You know what your life has always produced every time? Every time. The lust of your flesh has always produced discouragement, depression, woe is me, destruction. You know what the will of God has produced every time? Ultimately, ultimately what it produces is peace, joy, joy. Listen, the day that you got saved, I guarantee you either went home and told your family or told some friends, and they probably looked at you and said, yeah. well, That's a little bit discouraging, wasn't it? But you know, you still had joy and peace from the fact that your sins were forgiven, weren't didn't you? Ultimately, the will of God leads to peace. It leads to joy. It leads to righteousness. And if God's got to put you through some suffering so that the life of the Lord Jesus can be made manifest in your mortal flesh today. What we're talking about in 1 Corinthians is the fact ultimately of how that eternal life is going to be made manifest in your mortal flesh, in your body. The body that you have right now. There's going to come a day where it's going to be made manifest in your mortal flesh. But what I took a moment to explain and try to go through is how do we get it manifest in our flesh from... The point where we get saved up until the point of the rapture. And that answer is personal sanctification. You have to have some personal discipline. And a lot of that comes through suffering. Do something wrong, God will bust your ear in for it, just like every loving parent would do with their children. You say, What's he doing? He's trying to get you to see that that stuff is not worth having. It's not worth having. Yes, sir. He's a good God. He's a good God. You say, I don't feel like he's a good God. That's because you ain't repented yet. The day that you repent and get right with the Lord and say, God, I I tap out. You're right. I'm wrong. Boy, he's going to become a very good God to you. Yes, sir. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your goodness to us. Lord, we do thank you, God, Lord, for guiding us and leading us, God. And Lord, I pray, God, that you'd forgive me, Lord. I feel, Lord, exactly like what Paul said, the chief of sinners. Lord, I pray, God, that you'd help us, God. Lord, we thank you, God, for how merciful you are to us. God, thank you. Lord, like I believe it was David, he said in the book of Psalms, you've rewarded us less than our iniquities deserve. God, thank you for those things. Lord, help us this morning. God, pray you bless the morning service, and we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.